Good. That is good. Well, Pastor Walker is going to come bless us now at this time. Pastor, come. Well, I'm not quite sure what I could say that would be any better than what's already been said. Uh, Jesse was prophesying while we were worshiping, and then Pastor Brad comes up and takes it even further, and then I don't even know how to, how to top that, but, um, but I'm going to try. This week, we are continuing in our sermon series uh, called Parables and Prophets, and through the season of Lent, we want to look at how those two interconnect and, and, and how the parables of Jesus um, and the Old Testament prophets can lead us to some greater understanding in this time of Lent, and I want to refresh people's memory who maybe weren't here last week about what Lent is and why we celebrate it. Lent is simply just the season of 40 days leading up to Easter. Uh, 40 days, um, that 40-day period mimics the 40-day fast of Jesus in the wilderness. And so Jesus um, subjected himself to that fasting with the, with the particular purpose of growing closer to God. Of, of like When you read it in the book of Matthew, this is a different sermon altogether, but before he ever even performs any miracle, before he ever heals anybody, before he ever raises the dead, before he ever cures the sick or the blind or the deaf, any of those things, before he ever does anything miraculous, he goes into the wilderness, into the time of temptation, into the time of fasting. Uh, why? Because he knows in that time period of rededication to God that, that, that his soul is, is, you could say, strengthened, strengthened, and his relationship with God is strengthened. And so Lent is just a reflection uh, it's a time of repentance. It's a time of growing closer to God, of intentionally seeking after God. How many of you can say that you've been intentionally seeking after God? See, nobody wants to raise their hand. You know, I wouldn't be raising my hand either because we all fall short. But Lent is a time to say, God, I want to grow closer to you. And so I'm going to lay some things down. Some people, uh, you know, every, every year some people lay down physical things like uh, sweets or um, some people give up meat. Some people give up... Um, you know, just like fast food in general, you know, physical things. Um, some people give up uh, video games or TV or Netflix or, you know, other physical things that lead us astray from a relationship with God. Um, this is, once again, this is another sermon for another day, but I also think that Lent is about picking something up, not just laying something down, because if you just lay down your bad behaviors but don't replace it with anything good, then you'll just pick up a different bad behavior, right? So if you stop watching Netflix, you'll probably just start watching YouTube instead or, or something different, right? Or if you just stop watching the news, then you'll probably just scroll through your Facebook feed and find even worse news there, right? Uh, just because you lay something down means you've got to pick something up that's biblical, something that's going to be nurturing to your soul. So there's a tip for you this Lent. But in this Lenten season... Parables and prophets is our theme, and we want to we want to explore the parables of Jesus and the prophets of the Old Testament and see how these two, uh, you know, groups of people stories that were told thousands of years apart, you know, how they can lead us closer to Jesus. And really, Lent in its essence, I've already said this, but I'll say it again, is a season of repentance, okay? And I want to zero in on that word for a second, because for those of you that have been in church for a long time, repentance can have a, a very... Uh, dirty connotation behind it. I don't know. Most people don't like the word repentance, and most churches don't use that word repentance. But I believe repentance is essential to the Christian life. Essential. Repentance is what our lives should be all about. Tim Keller, author, Christian pastor from New York, said that Christians should be the most repentant people there are. Amen? 
Christians should be not, not non-believers. We think, oh, everybody out there needs to repent. They need to repent and turn to God. No, we need to repent and turn to God, amen? Because I don't know how about you, but there's so many times in life that even as Christians, we still fall short. We need to be the most repentant people that we know. But what is repentance? Repentance is simply to turn around or to return, okay? And so if you think about it in terms of uh, a voyage, here, I'll tell you this story. Uh, I just came to this mind. I wasn't even planning on telling this, but when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl in uh, 2019, amen, somebody, uh, we'll be back, we'll be back. Anyways, um, when they won the Super Bowl, I went down to the parade. This was pre-COVID, so, I mean, there was just everybody and their brother was there. I mean, I mean, packed in like sardines. It was just craziness, craziness, right? Well, I drove down there by myself. Uh, I did for the portion of the day hang out with Matt and Jesse, but I was there by myself, and I, was, I, I ran from the Sprint Center, now T-Mobile Center, but ran from the Sprint Center to Union Station. I don't know if you know how far that is, but I ran there, okay? I'm just giving you this backstory of how much I ran, so then you can tell, whenever I get to my point, you see how terrible it is. So I ran because I was trying to follow the bus. So after the bus went forward, I was like, I'm going to beat him Union Station. But I didn't realize just how far Union Station was. I was like sprinting the whole time, you know? And it was just, oh, it was terrible. And so I get there, I'm like so out of breath, okay? And we go through the parade. It wasn't even that great because I couldn't see anything because, you know, I'm five foot ten. There's all these tall people in front of me. And, you know, there's people hanging from tree branches. I'm sure you've seen the guy whose pants fell off, you know. Uh, it was just craziness, right? But um, after the parade, after the, after the, the not the parade, the uh, celebration at Union Station was over, we dispersed. Well, I do, I'm a country boy, okay? I'm from King City, Missouri. And I don't know my way around Kansas City, Missouri. Okay, I'm standing there. I'm like, okay, where is my car? Because there's no parking. So I had to park like over on like, uh, like 9th and Boulevard. Okay, and if you know anything about Union, you know, Kansas City geography, that's a pretty long ways away. So I was like, okay, where am I at? So then I was like, everybody was leaving and there was a giant crowd going this way. And I was like, well, they probably know where, where they're going. And subconsciously, so I just started to follow them. I don't know. There's, I mean, crowd of, I mean, we're talking 500 people. I just started walking along with the crowd, you know? And then I realized, I got on my Google Maps and realized I'm going the completely wrong way, you know? And, uh, and I was like, oh my gosh. So to this point, I've ran like three miles, like sprinted three miles. I'm so tired, been standing on my feet all day long. I was up since 5 a.m. Oh my gosh, I got to turn around. The worst part about it is that the distance that I walked in the wrong way was like seven blocks. So I had to go back seven blocks, and then I had to go up like 16 blocks to get to my car. Our lives are like that sometimes, aren't they? We get involved with crowds. We get involved with people, and we just begin to do what everybody else is doing, right? We don't think about it. We are mindless sheep, and we begin, because our, because our friends engage in particular activities, we engage in those activities, right? Because our friends talk a certain way, we talk a certain way. Because our friends think it's okay to hold grudges and hate people, we hold grudges and hate people, right? And we begin to walk in a life of sin. We begin to walk in the ways of the world, not even realizing what we're doing. Like, like I was not even even realizing what I was doing the whole time. I was just like, yeah, the Chiefs just won the Super Bowl. This is the greatest day ever, you know? And, uh, and that's how it is sometimes, you know, we're walking and then we realize, what did I just do, you know? What have I just done? What have I been doing? It's that moment of self-awareness, of self-realization. And then we turn around, we return, right? And that's a picture of repentance is in life, we are walking in paths that we know we should not walk upon. And we realize, God, 
I need to turn around. I need to come back to you. And so we turn around and we go back to God. Well, Jesus told a great parable about this. And this is probably one of the most famous parables. Um, one of my personal favorites. I want to dive into it today. Luke 15, 11 through 32. This is the parable of the prodigal son. Um, one of my absolute favorite books. Um, if you're looking for some outside reading, I would, I would recommend um, the... What is it called? The Prodigal Son. Just called The Prodigal Son by Henry Nouwen. Great book. Um, but the actual story in here is even better. So let's read this together, and then we're going to pray. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. The son, uh, his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now returned to life. He was once lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. Your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of this safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. And he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you so much for the ways in which you've already uh, ministered to us by your spirit and our time together. Lord, I pray that in, in these next few moments as we share uh, from, from scripture, Lord, as, as, as the preaching goes forth, I pray, God, that we would come to a greater understanding, Lord, of who you are, of your love towards us, God, and let it change our lives. Let it change us, God. Let everything that is said and done in the service change us, God, because if we come in here and we leave the exact same, then we shouldn't come at all. God, help us, change us this, evening, or this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So this story is obviously really famous, really famous, uh, really popular story, really popular parable that Jesus tells, and for good reason. I think it's a, uh, really amazing from beginning to end. Uh, I believe Ernest, Ernest Hemingway said that it is the greatest short story ever told. 
um, in all of literature. Uh, greatest short story ever told. Has an amazing uh, short little plot to it, um, and it tells us a great, great deal. Now, I want to dive in real quick on why Jesus told this parable, okay? Because if, if it was just like, the, the Bible, as it, as it comes in Luke, is not just like a collection of stories or sayings, you know? Like the book of Proverbs is just a collection of sayings with no context, you know? This, this has a context in it. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them, right? So the worst of the worst of society, the sinners and the tax collectors, you know, I don't know, think of who that would be nowadays, like, like you think uh, drug dealers and gangs and, and people of, I mean, think of the worst, you know, that you can think of. Those people came to Jesus to listen. And this made the Pharisees big mad. I mean, they were really upset. I mean, they were like, you know, why, why are you doing this, Jesus? You know, this, is, this goes against our laws. This goes against everything that we stand for. You're get, being impure. You're being unclean. But how many of you know whenever someone who's unclean comes to Jesus, they don't defile Jesus, but Jesus cleans them up, amen? And this is what happened. They understood that when they got around Jesus, there's something special about this man. And so they went around him, and Jesus said, let me tell you a story on why these people Come to me. Let me tell you a story on why I dine with these people. Let me tell you a story on why I hang out with these kinds of people. He tells a story about uh, the parable of the lost sheep, that, that, that the shepherd leaves the 99 to go after the one. The parable of the lost coin, whenever the woman loses her coin or her car keys or her phone, she goes searching throughout the house until she finds it, right? But then he tells this story about a son and a father and about how the father is looking for the son and will not rest until he finds him. The point of the parable is that God is looking for the people that are lost. Amen. God is looking for the people that are lost. But I want to dive specifically into this story today and ask a couple questions and just really break it down. The first question I want to ask is, is how does the father deal with this rebellion, right? So the son rebels against the father, but how does he deal with it? Well, first thing in the story, it doesn't seem like there's any resistance, and so the point I want to make with that is that the father allows this rebellion, that he doesn't try to stop his son. He says, okay, son, here's your inheritance. And, and, and I guess we don't really think about it in this way because nobody really does what he just did there, but it kind of is a really big deal for him to go and ask for that inheritance. It's like saying, dad, I want what you can give me, but not you. Like, I, I want what you can give me, material possessions, but not a relationship with you. Like, I couldn't care less about you. I just want your money. He, essentially, he's a trust fund baby in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, he just wants that money from his dad, but he doesn't really want a relationship with his dad. Um, and so this would have been very disrespectful. This would have been very uh, atrocious behavior. But the father allows it. The father allows it. There's no resistance, in at least the way the story is told by Jesus. The father never says, no, please don't. You know, he never, never begs him. He just says, okay, here's your inheritance. He allows the rebellion. But then we can imagine, obviously, this, this, I'm about to imply the story here a little bit, but that he's grieving and that he's sad. And the only reason I can imply that he's grieving and that he's sad is because of the opposite reaction that he has when the, when the son comes home. 
The, the, the story goes that he was looking for him and that he ran to him and that he hugged him and that he kissed him. He put a ring on his finger. He had, had this amazing party for him, right? And so because of this elaborate behavior that he has of happiness whenever the son comes home, we can assume that he's obviously grieving and obviously sad when the son leaves. He's grieving. He's very sad. Probably a little bit of anger, too. Why would my boy do this to me? You know, a little bit of inward reflection. Like, you know, what, what, what's going on? Why did my son leave? And the son, in this time, perceives that his father will be very angry whenever he comes back. The, the son goes off and, as we know, it says in there, squanders his money. He's uh, living the viva loca, as the song says, right? He is, he is living his best life now, YOLO, uh, you know, hashtag lit, you know, he's out at the bars, he's out in the, hitting the town, you know, every night, spending all of his money, he's living his life, you know, he's got the Gucci belt on, he's got, all, you know, younger people know specifically what I'm talking about, but anyways, He's got all these, you know, he's, he's got it, man. He's living the life, you know. He thinks he's got it. But then he obviously spends all of his money, had never took a Dave Ramsey course, you know. You know he, he spent all of his money uh, on wild living, the Bible says. Wild living. And he's bankrupt. He ain't got nothing. And so he, he thinks, well, I can't go back to my dad because my dad will be angry at me. He's going to be PO'd. I mean, he is going to be so mad when he realizes everything that's happened. I'm just being real, just calling it as, as it is. And so he says, well, maybe I can go to a local farmer and I can go get a job there, right? So that's what he does. He goes and he, he's working with pigs. I don't know about you, but like I said, I grew up in King City, Missouri, and there's a pig farm, you know, not even 10 miles from there. And I mean, it's just atrocious smell. I mean, it's terrible. I don't know if you've ever been around pigs or swine or anything like that, but this is not, this is not the job on the top of the list on Indeed.com, okay? I mean, this is pretty terrible stuff, okay? But he, he goes there. He's just trying to make a buck, you know, and, and he's working. And he realizes, like, he's so hungry, he, he, he thinks, like, you know, the food the pigs are eating is better than what I have, you know. And so finally he musters up, I'm going to go back to dad. I'm going to go back to dad. I'm just going to take it. He's going to yell at me, but I'll just take it. And maybe, maybe I can work there as a, as a slave, as a servant, you know, uh, on the land. And then, you know, but at, least, but at least then I'll get some food. You know, that's what he thinks. And he thinks that his father is going to be very angry at him because of everything that he's done and, and the shamefulness that he feels, the shamefulness that uh, he has in his heart. Well, then what is the father's response when the son returns? This is really interesting, right? The father runs to him, as I already said, and he welcomes him, and he loves him. There's, there's no anger in his voice. There's no, uh, let me, you know, let me, let me, I'm going to let him have it, you know, or, you know, rip him a new one. You know, none of that happens, but he says, the Bible says that he runs to him, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. He, he lavishes him with love and affection because he is happy that his son that has left is now returned home. And the beautiful thing about the story, I mean, the funniest thing about the story that I find uh, very interesting is that the son prepares this giant speech of, Dad, I'm so sorry. You know, I know I've sinned against heaven and you. I've lived this terrible life. And, you know, maybe I could just be a servant. And, and when you're reading the story, the father just completely disregards what he says. He doesn't even respond with the, the, the son's speech that he's prepared. He just completely disregards it and pushes it off to the side. Why? Because the father has already forgiven him. The father has already forgiven him of his sins. The father has already 
made a place for him in the family again. And so all the talk that he brings to him, it doesn't mean anything to the father because he's just happy that his son is home and to embrace him with love. This is absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But it would be shallow and it would not be good if this was just a story. But it's more than a story. And here's why I love this parable so much. Because in response to what the Pharisees were so mad about, Jesus tells this parable to say, here is what God is like. You guys have no idea what God is like, but here is what God is like. And here is how God interacts with sinners here is how God treats sinners. Here is God's affection towards sinner. We talked about how the Father allows the rebellion. And in our lives, we know that God has given us free will, that God has given us free choice. And so we ask ourselves, why do bad things happen in this world? Why do innocent people get shot or get killed or get, you know, all these things? Why do things happen? Well, God allows us to have a free choice. And this is just part of being free, sentient beings. We have a free choice and it breaks God's heart, but he allows the rebellion. He allows for these things to happen because if you're free to choose to love, you're also free to choose to hate, right? We are free beings, and he allows this rebellion. He allows the son to have the choice, just like he allows us to have a choice. But it doesn't make him happy or apathetic about it. He's very sad. You know, there's been a lot of just like crazy things that have happened this week, it seems like, in the you know, church notifications and stuff like that. You know, people saying just like crazy things been happening. How do you think God feels about those things, you know? It makes him very, very sad. He is grieving, just as the father is grieving whenever the son turns away. And what happens in our life whenever we rebel against God? Put yourself in the, in the shoes of the prodigal son. This is what happens. This is what shame does to us. Shame causes us to view God in a different light. It causes us to view God the Father in a different light. How many of you have ever walked into church with sin in your life and you think... I don't want to walk up to that altar because I don't want to face God. I don't want to, I don't, you know, I mean, because the, you know, you say, they say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but God, I'm real afraid, you know, uh, you know, you walk in here and you're afraid because shame has a way, and this goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, they were ashamed, and so they covered themselves up with leaves. You know, they were ashamed, so they hid from God. Shame has a way of of changing us psychologically to where we want to hide from God rather than running to God. Our first response when we sin is to run away from dad, not turn to dad, right? But as Christians, this is why I said we must be the most repentant people that we know because we know God. We know his graciousness and his mercy and his, for, uh, his forgiving nature. And so we turn to him, but shame has a way of skewing our view. And in the story of the prodigal son, the son says, God, dad's gonna be real angry at me. I can't go back. And how many people do you think in life have started coming to church for a little bit? You know, they've started, they've been trying. They've been trying to worship God. They've been trying to do the right things. They've been trying to be a good person and, and to follow after God. But what happens? Maybe something, they go back to whatever it was they're trying to lay down or, or they, they go back to that behavior or whatever and, and they feel ashamed. They feel, uh, they feel like they can't even walk in the building. Why? Because they're ashamed and it causes them to be afraid of God. But there's the way that we think about God, and then there's God. 
in his reality. I mean, this will throw you for a loop, but the life that you're living right now is just your perception of reality. And a lot of times, your circumstances change that perception. And a lot of times, we get in our own head about our relationship with God. We get in our head and we convince ourselves, God doesn't love me anymore. How could I ever do that? You know, God's never going to forgive me. God's never, I can never go back to that church. I can never go back in there. I can never worship God again because, you know, and maybe you're sitting here this morning, so obviously you haven't let those thoughts take you too far. But if you're real with yourself, we've allowed ourselves to think those things a couple of times. And some people have thought those things and never come back. There's a way that we think about God and then there's God and his reality. And in the story, the son thinks that God, the son thinks that the father is all angry at him. But what happens when he gets there, the, the father is actually super happy that he's there and the father runs to him. I know I've already gone over these things, but we need to understand that the story that's being told is not just a story, but it's telling us what God is like. And so whenever you're in that place of shamefulness, when you're in that place of just having sinned, when you're in that place of you feel that regret and that shamefulness because of what you've done, do not run away from God, but turn to God because we know that when we turn to God, he's quick to forgive, he's mighty to save, he's full of mercy and grace, amen? We know that when we turn to God, he is the loving heavenly father. He is the father in the story of the prodigal son. He runs to us. He's happy that we've returned back to him. This is the same for Christians, but also for non-Christians alike. Whenever sinners come to repentance, how many of you in here are sinners? Okay, I'm a sinner. Yeah, we're all sinners, right? Even though we're saved, even though we're saved under the blood of Jesus, we're still sinners. When sinners turn in repentance back to God, God welcomes them. He wants to uh, put a ring on their finger and party, which is just metaphor to say that he wants to come back in relationship with us. He wants to come back into relationship with us. Amen. The Father has already forgiven him and given him a place in the family again. I know a lot of people that feel like, you know, I ask for forgiveness, but I have to keep asking for forgiveness and keep asking for forgiveness and keep asking for forgiveness. I got to ask for forgiveness every day, you know. The Bible says that God casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. I don't know if you've ever flown from LA to New York. I haven't. I do know that Forrest Gump ran all across the United States of America. And that's a long ways. He grew a full beard in that time, right? I'm just, just trying to make it funny. Just, I can see some of you falling asleep. Uh, I'm just playing. That's a long ways, though, right? East is from the west. That's a long ways. And that's just the coast of the United States we're talking about from the whole world. That's how far God removes your sin. And so if God has forgiven your sin and removed it that far out of sight, then who are you to remember it? See, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. We have a hard time walking in that freedom, in that forgiveness that God has already given us. We have a hard time doing that. But what I really want us to get today from, from this is that the arms that embrace the Son in the parable are the same arms that Jesus stretches out on the cross. And what's he say on that cross? Luke 23, 34. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And in that eternal moment, in that moment where the Son of God, where the manifestation of God himself is being crucified, is being beaten, is being tortured, is being killed, in that moment he proclaims the eternal word of forgiveness over men, women, boys and girls, children, every single human that's ever existed, proclaiming that God's forgiveness is available to all. Amen? Available to all, to each and every person. 
you know, in Protestant tradition, the cross, sorry, it's hidden behind this beautiful thing, but you see, the crosses are always empty, right? For good reason, because Jesus is no longer on that cross. He's on the throne, amen? But I do like every once in a while looking at a Catholic crucifix, because when you see it, you see the crucified Messiah hanging there, and you see his arms. What's the position? They're wide open wide open, and that's God's position towards all sinners, begging them to come home, begging them to come into forgiveness, begging them to come into relationship. That is God's vision uh, for us, is that we would walk in that forgiveness. So how does this tie into the prophets, right? Gone through this parable, parables and prophets. How does this tie in? Well, we know that you can go ahead and skip two over. Wait, actually, just skip, go, go, go one up. Keep going. Keep going. Okay, actually, stop. Time out. I will show you guys this real quick. So this right here is, uh, I'm going to show you two pictures that actually depict the story of the prodigal son. Um, and these are just magnificent pictures I love. You can just stare at this one just for a second. You can see the, the, uh, the father hugging the son. There's not really much to notice about it, but if you see the, uh, the son, kind of looks a little distraught, like he's had, a, he's had a rough go, you know? He's had a rough, rough couple weeks, couple years. I don't know, it doesn't really tell us exactly how long. You can go to the next one. This is a much older painting. This is from Rembrandt. This is kind of depicts the whole scene here. And when you see it in its highest resolution, there's actually somebody in the far left corner that depicts the older brother that's got his back turned to the situation. Um, but this one depicts a younger brother even better. Um, he's bald, um, looks skinny, kind of famished, you know. There's a, when you actually look at the painting really closely, you'll see that the hands are different, that the, the left hand is actually um, more rough and tough, like a, you could say a carpenter's hand. And the right hand is actually uh, longer with uh, more feminine features. Um, you know, I think, I, you know, just in, in thinking on the spot here, I think it's probably just because most of the time we think of God as being only rough and tough and like, you know, Old Testament, you know. Um, but it's a tender touch of a parent, you know, welcoming his, his son home. And, uh, you know, maybe it's just me, but when I just look at those for a long time, you put yourself in the position of the younger son and it brings it into a reality, into a reality. Um, man, that's us. That's us, man. Go ahead and go on to the next. Sorry, I, I didn't know. I forgot I put those pictures in there. Let's talk about the prophets. Nehemiah 9.17, But you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. Hallelujah. 
all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets are full of judgment. They're full of, you know, God's going to do this to you and God's going to do that to you and all these crazy things. Why? Because Israel would not repent. They would not turn back to God. And we know that whenever we're walking outside of the will of God, when we're walking outside of what God has desired for us, it can be a very painful experience. It can be a very tough time. It can, it can lead to many things in our lives that we do not want. It can lead to, to much pain and much sorrow when we walk outside of the will of God. But all throughout Israel's meddling and grumbling and complaining and disobedience and worshiping other gods and creating idols and all of these things. Throughout all of that, God never abandoned his people. And I want to say that to say this to you this morning, that even though you may have walked as far as you, away from God as you can, maybe not just you guys in here, but you watching on Facebook, anybody that is out there that has walked so far away from God, you feel like you can't return to God, you feel like you can't come back into his presence, that is absolutely wrong and it's a lie from the devil. What God desires for us is to turn back to him and to come into relationship with him because God has always been a God of forgiveness, gracious and merciful, slow to become angry and rich in unfailing love. He has never abandoned you and he wants you to turn around to him. And this is not just for non-Christians this morning, folks. This is for Christians. How many of you know that you can be in, you can be in relationship with God, but you two ain't very close? Let's be honest. You can be in a relationship with God, but be very, very distant. Be very far from him. Today is the day to turn back to the Father's heart, to turn back to the Father, to turn back to our original love. Next one, next scripture, Isaiah 54, 10. For the mountains may move and the hills may disappear, but even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken says the Lord who has mercy on you. Even in our, our dumb-headed, stupid mistakes where we walk the other way and we, we sin and we fall short and we do things that we know we should not do, God is faithful and God is there for us and God has always been there for us. And when we turn to him, he's like the loving heavenly father. He's like the loving father in the story of the prodigal son that is there with open arms. We wrap up by saying this, God is and always has been the loving Heavenly Father who wants nothing but relationship with his children. Wants nothing but relationship with you. We oversimplify or we overcomplicate these things in, in church sometimes, right? We overcomplicate, uh, you know, we try to make it really religious and really, you know, pray these prayers, sing these songs, do these actions and all these things. But at the end of the day, I want to ask you a question. Have you come home? Are you home? Are you still wandering away? Are you still trying to do things your own way? And this is not a question of Christian versus non-Christian. It's a question for every human being. Are you the son that's kind of wandered away? You know, maybe you haven't made it all the way to the wild living part yet, but you're in the driveway walking away, you know, and you can sense things in your life not, not, not living in the way that you want to live or you're not saying the things that you want to say, you're not, not doing the things that you want to do. Maybe you're like me and, and you're walking with the crowd the wrong way, you know? Maybe you can sense yourself in that place. Once again, it's not a question of Christian versus non-Christian. It's a question of where are you with your relationship with God? And the best part is, is that we don't have to walk in shame. We don't have to walk in, in oh, God's going to be so angry at me. No, he wants to have a relationship with you. He wants that relationship with you, quick to forgive, mighty to save, full of grace and mercy, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's our God that we serve. Amen?
So I could talk all day about this, but I want us to experience it. We're gonna enter into a time of communion. I'm gonna ask the band if they'll come back up. And we're going to be, go before the Lord and ask him to, to draw us into his mighty, mighty love. Will you close your eyes and bow your heads and pray with me?